Welcome to the podcast series from the specialists at Penn Medicine. I'm Melanie Cole, and today we're discussing mitral valve disease, when it's appropriate to refer indications and treatment options. Joining me is Dr. Gene Chang. He's an assistant professor of clinical medicine and the director of the cath lab at Penn Presbyterian Medical Center of Penn Medicine. Dr. Chang, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. To start, would you tell us a little bit about the types of valves being used to treat valvular disease today and the issues we've had with these devices? I would say for tissue valves, for surgical valves, they obviously continue to get better, but unfortunately the durability of these valves is a limiting factor. So you'll see a few number of valves fail within the first couple of years, but the durability is not much longer than 10, 15 years and so forth. So that's a major limitation for these patients that undergo surgery and have bioprosthetic valves placed. Well, in the last few years, the treatment of aortic valve disease has evolved rapidly, and much of the progress is linked to pen, heart, and vascular. Briefly sum up for us the transcatheter aortic valve replacement, or TAVR, program at Penn Medicine and mitroclip therapy, both of which were investigated at Penn Medicine. Sure. It's an interesting parallel. The whole TAVR or transcatheter aortic valve replacement program was really sort of brought in as a clinical trial looking at patients that were high risk to survive aortic valve replacement in the traditional surgical operation. And as you know, there was benefit for those patients that were particularly inoperable and in those patients undergoing surgery that were high risk by certain criteria for complications and mortality from surgery. It's interesting to take a look at the volume of surgery for aortic valve replacement versus transcatheter-based, and there's almost about 80% of the isolated, maybe even 90% of the isolated valve procedures are transcatheter-based now as opposed to surgically-based. But that is a course evolution has taken about 15 years in the making. And it's sort of almost the same investigators taking a look in the mitral valve space here within the Penn Health System but it's taken in the beginning phases a similar approach, taking a look at those that are inoperable or at high risk of complications and comparing a transcatheter-based implant of a device, specifically the MitraClip here, versus surgery. And now it is FDA-approved for such patients if they meet appropriate criteria, and there are trials now beginning and ongoing for moderate risk. So. Time will tell to see if we follow the same timeline and pathway with mitral valve and mitral vegetation. Dr. Chang, so mitral clip is used in edge-to-edge repair of the mitral valve for mitral regurgitation. Developing treatments for these repairs have been more challenging than that for other mitral conditions. Tell us why that is. Well, as I was mentioning, it's been a little bit easier in terms of the aortic valve because the pathology is relatively uniform in terms of the problems that cause aortic stenosis. Mitral regurgitation, it has uh, less sort of a uniform anatomy. It's not sort of circular. It's much more oval-shaped, and there are different mechanisms in terms of why an individual would have significant mitral regurgitation. And the two broadest categories have been broken down into primary or degenerative versus functional and secondary. And in the former, it's really a problem of the mitral valve leaflets or the mitral valve apparatus whether they have torn, they have some flails, or they prolapse, or so forth, but it's a primary problem of the leaflets, whereas in the latter, secondary mitrogurgitation, it could be a problem associated with the ventricle itself or something that happened to the ventricle in terms of causing inadequate movement or inadequate coaptation, if you will, where the leaflets are supposed to come together, 
and not allow a leak, kind of like having a door shut without any air getting through it. And I think that the differences of how the pathophysiology of or the origination of this microgurgitation has certainly made it challenging, but there is a lot of interest, as you know, in a lot of companies and a lot of individuals looking at ways to tackle this challenging problem. Well, along those lines, MitraClip was originally approved for Medicare reimbursement for patients with degenerative or primary, but was recently approved for secondary. So what does that mean for referring physicians? It's exciting. MitraClip for degenerative MR was originally FDA approved back in 2013 and has gained sort of CMS reimbursement in 2015, but FDA approval for this secondary or functional MR indication and was just approved with respect to CMS reimbursement in this year, in January. And I think that makes a huge difference in terms of hospitals, health systems, and so forth, being able to viably provide this service to a great majority of patients. The degenerative mitrogurgitation really should be treated surgically unless there are sort of contraindications or limitations or so forth from a surgical standpoint in terms of the patient. That leaves a broad category of patients that were never really getting treated that adequately with this device, this functional MR, because there was really not great data for surgical options. And when the data came out from the COAP trial, that was absolutely amazing and stunning. Now we can offer this therapy to a lot of patients that we didn't necessarily have before. Speak about the multidisciplinary approach as a team approach is becoming increasingly important for mitral valve surgery as a heart surgeon at Penn Heart and Vascular. Can you touch on why it's important to have this collaborative partnership between interventional cardiologists, heart failure cardiologists, surgeons, imaging specialists? This multidisciplinary approach has been absolutely exciting and has been highly educational for me in terms of looking at and gaining a better understanding of my echocardiography colleagues, my surgical colleagues, and so forth, and my heart failure colleagues. And it is absolutely critical, I think, in this disease to have a very collaborative and a very strong interactive multidisciplinary program. So, for instance, I think, as I was mentioning, the degenerative patient that has mitral valve prolapse or flail can get repairs of these valves with excellent outcomes, and that is really the best, and it's potentially curative for the patients. So they should have an evaluation, and that evaluation should look at, is it repairable or does it need to be replaced? How high of an operative risk is this individual? And then if they're deemed to be extremely high risk for whatever particular reason, you might want to step back and say, well, yeah, I could do the surgery, but I may not do the patient uh, a lot of service if they have a lot of complications. And then if you take a look at the other arm, if you will, or the other category, this functional or secondary MR, the data really comes that we're highly dependent upon these patients getting optimized for their congestive heart failure or other symptoms because, remember, this is not necessarily a primary problem of the valve, but it may be a secondary result based on the heart function of the individual patient and so forth. And like any operation, any surgery, the better you are before the procedure, the better you're going to do after the procedure. And we have our patients see our heart failure colleagues. We talk together. We decide when the appropriate time for the procedure is going to happen. If there are candidates, then again, it's highly dependent upon a review of the anatomy with our ECHO colleagues. We do get all four groups involved in almost all the discussions of these patients. And then we also are dependent upon our administrators and our nurse practitioners who really keep us 
in line and in check and organized about where the patients are, what studies they need, and so forth. So it's a big endeavor to do this in as efficient and as productive a manner as possible. It's exciting. I think it's a whole new realm. Well, it certainly is. And doctor, finally, what has you most excited about the future of catheter-based intervention for mitral valve repair and replacement? And when do you feel that it's important and appropriate to refer to the specialists at Penn Medicine? It's never too early, I think, to have the patients referred. If there's any concern about the severity of the mitral or the clinical scenario that the mitral is the primary driver of whatever symptoms and comorbidities their patients are having. Thank you so much, Dr. Chang, for joining us today and sharing your incredible expertise. That concludes this episode from the specialists at Penn Medicine. To refer your patient to a specialist at Penn Medicine, please visit our website at pennmedicine.org refer, or you can call 877-937-PENN. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and all the other Penn Medicine podcasts. I'm Melanie Cole.